Your Bibles are open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to use a lot of scripture this morning, so we'll look at a couple of other places. But this will be our, our starting point for the next few moments. In Acts chapter 17, we read about the Apostle Paul and his team arriving in a city called Thessalonica. You had a map, you would find uh, that that city is located in a region called Macedonia, north of the country of Greece. The city of Thessalonica still goes by that name today, obviously located in the same place. Paul went in there and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue where the Jewish people gathered and using the scriptures showed them that God had fulfilled his promise in sending a savior the Messiah, the Christ, if you will. And that was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He explained to them how Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, was buried, resurrected three days later in full accordance with the word of God. He fulfilled every promise God made about the savior. And he stressed to them the fact that no one goes to heaven because they are born a Jewish person or because they're a religious person but that as sinners, God sent us a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is our only hope of salvation. As Peter said in Acts chapter four, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And in that, that synagogue, there were some Jewish people that believed the Bible to be true, as the choir sang about this morning. They looked at the scriptures that Paul opened to them, and they understood the message of the gospel, and they trusted Jesus Christ as their savior. But sadly, the majority of people in that synagogue did not receive Christ. They rejected him outright. And so Paul and this little handful of new believers, these new Christians, established what comes to be known as the church at Thessalonica. Now, some places that Paul went, for example, in Corinth, Paul would stay there for a couple of years. In Ephesus, he would spend between two and three years getting these people to understand the doctrines of the Bible, getting them grounded in the faith, helping them learn how to serve the Lord and so forth. Thessalonica didn't work quite that way. Uh, we believe Paul went there sometime in early AD 48. He was there for the Bible says three Sabbath days. So somewhere between three and four weeks. And at the end of that time, the enemies of the gospel became very, very angry with Paul. And they, they, just, they just decided, we're going to kill the guy. We don't like the message, so we'll destroy the messenger. And the new believers in that tiny, brand new church, they understood that this anger was real. They knew the climate around them. And uh, they encouraged their first founding pastor, said, you need to get out of town. Uh, these people, they mean business. They will kill you. And Paul reluctantly left this new congregation. They're three weeks old as a church, less than a month old. Having planted a church uh, several decades ago, starting in 1991 in Pennsylvania, I can guarantee you, if we had only stayed in Jeanette for three weeks and then we would have moved on, there would have been no church left behind us. 
Uh, we'd had a few folks saved. Um, we had a few of them that, that had come to church more than once, but I can't say that we'd been there long enough to get anybody grounded in the, the things of God. So Paul had to leave somewhere in, in uh, AD 48. He left about a year later, Paul wrote back to them. He's now in the city of Corinth. So it's, it's AD 49, and he wrote these words that we read with Brother Carson this morning uh, in this letter called the Epistle to the Thessalonians. Um, it's been a year. Paul has stayed in touch with those people. He knows people from other churches in the area. He's heard about these people, and notice what he says about them in verse 2. We give, to thank, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in, the Lord, in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Paul writes back, he says, I'm, I'm just praising God so much for you. I pray for you so often. And he said, I am reminded of, of these things about you. He said, first of all, your work of faith. These weren't people just going through the ritual, going through the motions. They believed the Bible and they believed the God of the Bible. And the Lord changed their lives and everything they did was a walk of faith, trusting in the leadership of the word of God, their labor of love. They weren't just showing up to church because they were supposed to or somebody made them to do so. They came because they loved the Lord. Like the trio just saying, I love the Lord. He heard my cry. Um, that's the way these people are. Everything they did was because they loved the Lord. Um, God's very concerned about our motives, church. God's not, God's not pleased if we're just robotic about that which we do. We show up and, and, and do what we do because we have to or it's expected of us. God's not impressed or pleased with that. God's, God doesn't want that any more than any husband or wife wants their spouse to, to just go through the motions of a marriage. We want that person to do whatever they do because they love us. Um, and, and the Bible says these, this group of believers, they'd only had their pastor for three weeks or so. They're serving God because of their depth of love for the Lord. And the Bible says their patience of hope. It was a church born in a time of persecution. And yet that, that hope, that confident expectation of good kept them at it. And here they were a year later and they were still serving God. Remember now, they've had their pastor for three weeks. That, that, that was it. And, uh, but, but they had the scriptures and, and, and they had what, what Paul had given them in three weeks and they built upon that. And a year later, Paul is writing to them and he's so thankful uh, again for their work of faith, their labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn forward a few pages to second Thessalonians. About two years after Paul wrote the first letter, he writes a second one to the same church. And notice what he has to say to them in verse three. It sounds very similar to the first letter. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, as it is fitting to do so, because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you, toward, uh, one of you all toward each other aboundeth 
so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Now, I want you to understand, I believe every word in the Bible is there on purpose. And, and God is writing to the same church. In his first letter, you don't have to flip back and forth, but he remembered their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope. Now, two years later, he writes to that same church and he's going to write about their work. He's going to write about their labor and he's going to write about their patience. But he has some other words to describe it. You're in Second Thessalonians one. Look again at verse three. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. So whatever that faith they had when he wrote the first letter, their faith wasn't at that level anymore. Their faith had grown, the Bible says, exceedingly. It didn't grow by a little bit. He said, your faith groweth exceedingly. We know that they had a labor of love in, in the first letter, but in, in the, the second letter, he writes, writes the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So not only did they have faith in the first chapter that grew exceedingly, they had love in that first letter. And, and notice that he says that it's abounding. They weren't tolerating each other. They weren't putting up with each other. Uh, the Bible says that their love for each other abounded. When you walked into that church, you walked into a place where it was obvious that God's people were consumed with the love of God and the love for God's people. The Savior taught in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciple, that ye have love one for another. That's what this church at Thessalonica was like. But like their faith that grew exceedingly, so did their love. The word charity is a word uh, that means a deep abiding sense of love. It is a love that's always directed outwards to other people. It's a love that does not ask the question, what's in it for me? Love asks, uh, this charity asks the question, what can I do for you? How can I express the love of Christ to someone else? Uh, we're to love one another out of a pure heart, fervently. The church at Thessalonica did that. Things weren't remaining status quo. They weren't static. Their faith has grown exceedingly. Their charity towards each other abounds. And here they are a couple of years down the road. The persecution has not abated. If anything, it has intensified. Nero is on the throne of the, the Roman Empire. And towards the end of his reign, which was actually a very brief reign, persecution against Christians became a sport. And to name the name of Christ and to be loyal to the name of Christ uh, was a life and death matter. Uh, and yet these people, after all this time, they're still serving God. They're still fervent for God. They're still right with God. So their, their faith and their love and their patience, has, it has skyrocketed. It has is, it is grown. In this one church, we get a picture of what God desires, I believe, for every single one of his churches. Uh, what we see in the lives of the church members in Thessalonica is God's plan for all of us. 
Turn, if you would, to Second P. I'm sorry, First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. The Bible says in verse one, wherefore laying aside, there are some things as a believer that I'm supposed to get out of my life. They don't belong in a Christian's life. Malice, that's ill will towards other people. Guile, that is deceptiveness. Hypocrisies, that's saying one thing, doing another. That's expecting things of, of others, but not of yourself. Um, envies being jealous of what other people have, what they can do, and so forth. And all evil speakings, lying, cursing, slandering, and so forth, we're to lay those aside. They don't belong in the life of a believer. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, read the last five words in verse 2, church. Ready? That ye may grow thereby. That ye may grow thereby. Peter's writing in his first letter, he's saying that you need to lay some, side, some things aside. You need to absorb the word of God. Why? So that you grow. You're not supposed to stay in the same position spiritually. You're supposed to grow beyond that point. Second Peter chapter three, just a few pages forward. Peter closes his second letter with similar words, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you understand that that is a commandment? We're commanded to grow. We're, we're commanded to be different as time goes on. We're, we're, we're commanded to do that, not to do that, would be sin against God. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. James chapter four, verse 17. We are commanded to grow. I'm supposed to grow. A, a year from now, I'm not supposed to be at the same place spiritually that I am right now. I'm supposed to have a deeper understanding of the Lord. I'm supposed to have a more faithful walk for the Lord. I'm supposed to love the Lord more passionately because a year from now, I've had more answers to prayer. I, I'll have had more victories. I'll have seen God do uh, more great things. So naturally, my love for God ought to grow. The question before us, uh, the, though, this morning is, are we growing? Are we growing? This year in, in uh, September will mark 44 years in full-time ministry for me. Uh, 11 years as a youth pastor and then uh, the, the remaining years as a pastor of a church. Uh, it's been my privilege to deal with thousands of people from one end of the country to the other. Uh, some that I got to, to be with for sometimes just a single service or a conference, something like that. Others, I got to spend several years with them uh, and some several decades with them. Um, it, it's a great joy to be able to look back and see those that, that are uh, Thessalonian believers. I've told you about a gal that my wife and I met uh, in the first year of our church in Pennsylvania. We'd had a family visited uh, one, one Sunday, 
And uh, so we went by the next Saturday to, to uh, thank them for coming and talk to them uh, and so forth. And eventually they did come and join the church and so forth. And they said, uh, can, can you go two doors down? They gave us the number and they said, we, we want you to uh, visit a gal. Her name is Pam and she needs God. We had no idea what that meant, but we were about to find out. So we, we uh, you know, finished our visit uh, there with Bob and Shelly, and, and we went down, uh, down there, and I knocked on the door. And, uh, uh, she, you know, this lady answered the door, and uh, she's looking like she wants to kill us just for bothering her Saturday morning. She's got a cigarette hanging out of her mouth, and uh, she's glaring at us, literally glaring. And so I'm trying to talk real fast because I don't know how much time she's going to give us. I said, hi, my name's Tom. This is my wife, Trina. We're from Heritage Baptist Church. Uh, she said, I'm Catholic. Slam. And I mean, slam the door. It reverberated. Um, and that was the end of our visit. That was it. Um, Pam uh, was in a motorcycle gang. Uh, she had a husband. He was in prison for murder. Um, just one of those rough, rough, rough stories. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of went a couple doors down to uh, talk to Bob and Shelly saying, what were you thinking sending us to that house? We didn't do that. Uh, we saw them the next day in church and uh, they wanted to know how it went. And they said, yeah, we thought we heard a door slam and so forth. And uh, a little bit of time went by. And on Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday, first year of our church, Bob and Shelly came to church and they had Pam and her two boys with her. They just walked into church. And uh, she was a little sheepish because she knew how she talked to us on the first time that she came. And, uh, you know, she came, she wanted to sit in the back. And when you only have 20 people in church and one sitting all the way on the back wall, it sort of sticks out just a little bit, but it was fine. We were just happy that she was there. Uh, our, our little group of people were friendly with her. They were kind with her and so forth. And uh, she walked out and basically said, I came, uh, I'll never be back. Uh, there you go. But uh, the Lord sparked something in Pam. She started asking Bob and Shelley questions about what Baptists are all about. By the way, being a Baptist won't get you to heaven. The only thing that'll get you to heaven is being born again. And uh, so they're trying to explain the best they can to her. And, and uh, one Thursday evening, I got a phone call uh, and it was Bob saying, Pastor Bish, Pastor Bish, um, uh, Pam is sitting in, in our living room and Shelly's got the Bible out and, and uh, she's asking questions about what, what it means to be saved and all that. And can, can you walk us through it? So I'm, I'm giving him the, the verses and walking him through the Romans road. He goes, hold on just a minute. And he'd go over and they'd, they'd find the verse in the Bible and explain. He goes, okay, now what do we tell her? And this went back and forth for the longest time. And they said, okay, we've explained it all to her and so forth. Uh, we'll let you know what happens. And uh, we didn't hear anything until the next day and Shelly called my wife while I was at work and said uh, Pam received Jesus Christ as her personal savior she was a rough gal she was rough she started coming to church uh, the first Wednesday night that she came uh, I was in the front of the auditorium getting ready to, to start the service and Trina just come up you know how she could be if she was a little bit frazzled you know you know she's just kind of like this and, and talking real fast uh, this time she wasn't loud about it she just said Pam's here don't look I'll explain later and and Pam wasn't dressed terribly modestly by the way church is not a fashion show and it wasn't that type of thing it was just it, it was not it was not good and so Pam said over here, so I taught the Bible study to everybody sitting over here. They were deeply under conviction, wondering what in the world was wrong with just 
that's not where Pam is. Um, and all of those things. Uh, Trina called her her motorcycle mama. Pam would call Trina on a daily basis, on a daily basis. She had the mouth of a sailor, but she didn't know that she did. She just didn't know. That's just the way she was brought up, a hard life. And Trina, I'd get home from work and she said, Pam called and she kept me on the phone for an hour. And she said, I kept the phone out here. It was like, wow. And Trina's trying to help her to understand some things and to learn all those things. But Trina and I used to, as we prayed for her and then we talk about it, think, you know, the day's going to come. And Pam's going to say, I can't believe that I cussed and swore to the pastor's wife like that. By the way, she offered me a beer the first time I, w I visited <laughs> after she got saved. I did not partake. Um, decades have gone by. That was 1991. 33 years have gone by. If you go to Heritage Baptist Church in Jeanette, Pennsylvania this morning on Lowry Avenue, I'll guarantee you they have a choir section that goes, goes up uh, at an angle on this side of the front of their auditorium. I guarantee you Pam is in the choir. Um, I guarantee you that she taught Sunday school this morning. She'll probably be in the nursery at, at some point. Uh, she goes out soul winning every week. Uh, she is one of the sweetest ladies that you'd ever meet. And every time I see her, she will remind me of our first acquaintance. And, and she will say the words, I still can't believe that I used to talk like, to, like that to Trina. Say, what is that? She grew. Um, Christianity is not about adherence to this list of rules. It's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it, it is about a new life in Christ. The Savior used the words born again to describe what it means to be saved. Uh, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. When we're born again, we, we, come, we become spiritually al alive and you understand living things grow. Living things grow. Um, that's one of the ways you know that they're alive. That's one of the reasons that I believe life begins at conception because growth begins at conception. Amen? Living things grow. And, and if we're alive in Christ Jesus, it, it, it only stands to reason that we should be growing in grace. I, I'm, I'm thankful that I can look back over four and a half decades uh, at, at scores and scores, if not hundreds of people uh, with a testimony so much like Pam's. Hers is a, a little more extreme because of, of where she started from, of course, where the Lord's brought her to and so forth. But I've seen people that got raised in church, but maybe didn't get saved until they were high school or college. But there was a change that took place. All of a sudden, they're not going through the motions anymore. They're not doing what they do because they have to. Suddenly, there's a new spark in there. And as time goes by, they're building on that. And they're growing in grace. But at the same time, I can look back with great sadness at people that in decades have not changed even a little bit. They still talk the way they used to talk. And it's not good. They, they still treat people badly. There, there's, there's no desire for the Bible. There's no desire to share the, the good news of the gospel with anyone. Um, uh, outside of the fact that they may come to church, they might not. If you saw them out in the world, you'd never know them from any lost person out there. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to say that's not God's plan for any of us. God wants us to grow. Now, we all grow at different rates, don't we? We grow at different rates. Um, uh, when when uh, 
Uh, I was a little kid at five years of age. I entered first grade. Uh, they hadn't invented kindergarten yet. So I, five years old, I was in first grade and I was adorable. <laughs> and I was this little tiny, tiny kid. And uh, it was a country school type thing. So older kids, younger kids all rode kind of on the same bus. And I didn't care for this a whole lot. The girls, the, the, the junior seniors in high school, they always liked to have me sit on their lap in the bus because I was so cute. I have no idea what happened. Um, you know, I, I, I grew out of that phase. Um, when I started school, I got brand new clothes for first grade. And in fifth grade, I was finally growing out of them. Fifth grade, 10 years old. That's not good. Fifth grade, I got new clothes and I was still outgrowing them in ninth grade. Um, I guess I was growing. It was, it was hard to figure out. I actually grew four or five inches after I went to college. Um, uh, we just kind of grow at different rates. And, and then there's your son, Tommy. Tommy's nine. He's nine. Wears men's size seven and a half shoe. He's nine. Uh, I have a bunch of size eight men's shoes that I, I don't wear anymore and, and so forth. And Anna asked me the other day, they said, uh, Dad, could you go through your closet and, and see if you've got any size eight shoes for Tommy? His are getting too tight on him. What is with that? He weighs, what, a hundred and... He weighs 110 pounds. I married... A, I weighed 112 on my wedding day. <laughs> don't laugh at me. God made some people tall and the rest of us he made awesome. Okay, that's, that's how I choose to look at my affliction. Okay, uh, we all grow at different rates, but we're all supposed to grow. Of course, now I'm at the age where I, I've given up on growing this way. I'm trying to fight growing this way. Anybody else understand that battle that comes along? Growing is a part of a, a physical life, but it's supposed to be a part of our spiritual life. Growing grace. Paul writes to this church. By the way, I'm, I'm not going to get anywhere near into this message where I intended to. Um, but Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 1, a year after he had left them, saying, I remember your work of faith and your labor of love and your patience of hope. Two years later, we don't know that he's been back, but he's heard about them. He's heard their testimony. And their faith, it's not there anymore it groweth exceedingly. It groweth exceedingly. Their, their love that, that was so abundant in chapter one, it's abounding yet more and more. It's not static. It's always on the rise. It's deeper and stronger than it's ever been. And their patience Oh my goodness, they're still, they're still holding on to the promises of God. The persecution is now not just against Paul, it's against them. But they're standing steadfast and firm in the things of Almighty God. And Paul's, Paul, whatever Paul rejoiced in in the first letter, he's rejoicing 10 times over in the second when he said, everything I said about you, it grows exceedingly. We know from Scripture, we're to grow in grace. Keep your... Uh, don't keep your place because I'm not going to go back to 2 Peter. Go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7. In chapter 6, Paul write, wrote to the church at Corinth and told them you need to 
separate from things that are not godly. He said, there's no fellowship between God and, and, and Satan, between idols and the living God. Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. He said in verse 17. But verse 1 of chapter 7, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, that's the actions that we do, and spirit, those are the attitudes that we maintain. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. Holiness is not self-righteousness. It's not I'm better than thou. Holiness is becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior taught us, be holy even as your Father in heaven is holy. Be therefore perfect, it says, as your Father in heaven is per perfect. I'm to perfect holiness. Am I 100% holy? No, but I'm to perfect it. I'm to work on it. I'm to be growing I'm becoming more and more like Christ and less and less and less like the world. Turn, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Like I said, I'm not even going to try to get into the heart of what I planned for this morning. Look, if you would, Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 11. Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to them. On the subject, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the law because the law can't save you, but Jesus can. Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrifices because they could never wash away sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so he's writing them the subject, Jesus is better, verse 11, of whom, that's Christ, we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. When I got saved, I knew nothing about the Bible. It was a mystery to me. But as a brand new Christian, I wanted to learn everything this Bible had to teach. When I went to church, I didn't sleep. I wasn't writing notes to my friends. I wasn't goofing off. I was sitting on the edge of my seat with my Bible open, doing my best to find the passages the pastor told us to turn to because I just wanted to know what the Bible said. I was like that newborn babe desiring the sincere milk of the word. Paul said, you used to be like that to the readers of the book of Hebrews. You used to be like that, but you're not anymore. He said, you're dull of hearing. Like, is he going to preach on that again? How many times he's going to read that same verse? You're dull of hearing. For when for the time, you ought to be teachers. Man, you ought to be teaching a Sunday school class. You ought to be leading a junior church. You ought to be preaching over at the prison or at the nursing home. You ought to be teachers. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles or the revelations of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. We have a baby in our household. Wesley is almost seven months old now, isn't he? Um, and uh, up until just a few weeks ago, Wesley has just been thriving on milk. That's it. 
if you try to put anything more than that in his little mouth, he will probably try to swallow it, but he will choke. He won't be able to digest it. It, it will not be a good thing. Um, that's the way we start out as a believer, but we're not supposed to stay that way. People ought to be, a preacher ought to be able to get up here and talk to us about prayer, uh, about fasting, about sanctification. Uh, and we ought to be able to sit there and, and understand it and put it into practice in our lives. He said, but you're not like that. You're still behaving like a baby. He said, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of youth have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, that's the foundation. We're not leaving them behind, but we've already learned those. Let us go on unto what? Perfection. Are you growing? Or are you in the same place you were a year ago, 10 years ago? Has your life changed? Has your vocabulary changed? Have the people that you work with that knew you before you got saved and know you now, have they noticed the change or would they be surprised to find out that you go to church? Are you growing? Do you still have that hunger for the things of God? I mentioned Wesley. He's, he's learning how to eat baby food. And they're starting him with the fun stuff. Like yesterday, was it applesauce um, and sweet potatoes and all that? He'll get to the lamb and the liver and all the, why they put that in jars, I don't know. But you ought to see Wesley, when they got that little jar of food in front of him, you've just never seen more excitement. <laughs> am, I, am I exaggerating? Not even a little bit. And, and he's really not spitting it out. He's figured out if you spit it out, you don't get to enjoy it. He's keeping it in pretty well uh, and all of that. And the problem is mom and dad can't shuffle it in fast enough. That's a sign of a healthy baby. That's a sign of a healthy child. By the way, that's a sign of a healthy Christian when we're always wanting more. When we're always wanting more. David said in the book of Psalms, as the heart, that's a type of deer, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O my God. David had that longing, that hunger for the things of God, but you can almost tell when a child's sick when they don't want to eat. Tommy loves his food. Probably Wesley's got Tommy's DNA in his vein. Tommy loves his food, but when Tommy stops eating... We know he's not full because the child has never been full yet. We know that he's sick. I wonder how many times we come to church and the Sunday school teacher or the pastor is trying to feed us and we're like. Something's wrong with that. That's what it means to be spiritually sick when I don't when I don't want this anymore. The Bible is called milk and bread, and honey, and meat, and honeycomb. Those are all good things. They're things that we need to thrive on and to grow stronger on. And Paul said to these people in Hebrews, he said, I can't speak to you like mature people. Your faith hasn't grown exceedingly. You're somewhere still down here, and I have to give you the baby food. Have you ever eaten baby food? You know, I guess the applesauce and the peaches and stuff is tolerable, but even then it's kind of on the slimy side. 
the chicken, the beef, whatever else that they force in those little jars, no human being of any age should be forced to consume those. Anybody in agreement with that? Um, are you growing? Are you growing? That is really the heart of the message today, is are you growing? Well, I think I'm fine just like I am. No, you're not. Because the Bible says you're to grow in grace. That wasn't just written to newborn babes in 1 Peter. That's written to mature people in 2 Peter. You're supposed to be growing. You're supposed to be changing. And if, you're, if that's not a, a part of your heart and your desire, there's something missing, my friend. I'm not, again, trying to, to be judgmental. I'm trying to be biblical. God wants us to grow. We can't grow as a church unless we're growing as individuals. Are you different than you were a year ago? Are your attitudes and your actions and your words and your treatment of other people, is your testimony different? And I mean in a good way. Or are you still addicted to the grapevine? Trying to find out as much dirt as you can about other people because that's what you're thriving on and you haven't changed at all? You're, you're in the Hebrews realm of things. God has so much he wants to do for you, but you're not growing to the place where you can get it. Are you growing? Are you growing? Last March, I entered my first powerlifting competition. And it was a nerve-wracking experience as an amputee. I never thought it would be something that I'd want to do, but Sam talked me into it. And so I did. It turned out to be a good experience. Not everything went the way that I wanted it to or thought it would, but most of the, mostly it was, it was a good day. I failed on the last bench press. Uh, I, just, I just couldn't get it up the way that I wanted to and so forth. But all in all, it was a good day. Well, Sam talked me into doing a second one, and that happened a few weeks ago. Well, in between March and a few weeks ago, I had that ongoing chest pain issue. And by, by last summer, it was, it was wreaking havoc on every part of my system. I wasn't sleeping well. I was unrested. Um, I, I, I was uh, going backwards in everything that I did physically. Uh, my stamina was gone. My endurance was gone. My strength was gone and so forth because I had something wrong. My rib was out of place. By the way, your ribs guard your heart. Think about that for a moment. Um, two months ago, we got the rib thing figured out. I was already signed up to do the competition, so I had to get what I could in as far as practice and preparation and so forth, so I, I did the powerlifting competition. And the truth is, I walked away with a first-place medal, but I walked away wanting to throw my first-place medal in the river because the truth of the matter is, I didn't lift as much as I should have on the, on the, the uh, squat. I didn't do as much. Uh, I had done about 25 pounds more previously, but I went down. On, on the deadlift, it was terrible. I didn't even get the last one more than a couple inches up, and it wasn't even close to what I did in March. You see, I, I was going on, and where I, in, in eight or nine months, I should have been, I should have been ahead of the game, there were some problems, some health issues that came in, and I went backwards. I did not grow in my strength or endurance. How many see what I'm saying? What is it that's caused you not to grow? 
What is it? Paul told to the Galatians, he said, who hath hindered you that ye should not obey the gospel? Sometimes people cause us not to grow. Sometimes we have problems that come in life and we get distracted and so forth. But either you're growing or you're not. And I'm not writing, I'm not preaching today to scold anyone. I want to encourage everybody here. One of the ways that I know I'm healthy is I desire the sincere milk of the word. I want to grow. I long to grow. I get, as long as I'm tired of being what I am and I want to be more for Christ, I, I know I'm probably going in the right direction, but when I don't care anymore, or when somebody preaches about it and I get offended or upset about it, I know I'm in a bad place. So Heritage Baptist Church, if Paul was our pastor, and he wrote to us a year ago about our, where our faith was and our charity was and our patience was, what would he write to us about today? We say, oh man, I'm so excited. Your faith has grown exceedingly. And, and your charity toward each other, it abounds like never before. And your, and your patience is more steadfast and strong and secure than it's ever been. Or he would have said, man, I have so much I want to tell you, but I can't. Because you're still here. You haven't grown a bit. What would he say to you? What would he say to me? Can we bow our heads for prayer this morning?